All right, so uh, let me just kind of go over a little bit of what we talked about last week. If you missed it, uh, you can go find it online. Uh, but last week, uh, just by way of, in, of, of introduction on angels, uh, I said um, angels are a difficult matter. Uh, to study primarily because although they're a, they would be probably one of the top 10 categories in church doctrine and Bible doctrine, uh, the reality of it is there, there isn't a lot of designated teaching just on angels. Okay, you don't see, you can go into Scripture and you can see God is love, God is grace, God is this, God is eternal, God is spirit, God is, you, God is just. You can see a lot of that stuff. You can see Jesus is this, Jesus is this. You can see the Holy Spirit is this. You can see a lot of specific teaching about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Bible, salvation, sin. You see a lot of that. But when it comes to angels, you really don't. And part of that is because they were created beings by God uh, to really be delivering a message. So every time we see angels show up, they are doing God's will. They are either saying something for God, they are doing something for God, they're de delivering a message for God, they're ministering to God's saints. So once you get by the first category or so, of angels, then you just kind of take all the appearances of angels and say, well, at least sometimes they appear this way, and sometimes they appear this way, and sometimes they appear this way, and sometimes they appear this way. So uh, they're a difficult subject matter. matter um, a couple of things we saw about angels um, and looked at some verses they were mentioned in, mentioned a couple hundred times in Scripture. Um, uh, let's see, uh, mentioned in 34 books of the Bible, gave you a simple de definition, some general terms. Angels are often called angels. Sometimes they're called holy ones. Those are the unfallen angels. Um, there are others, other times they're called a host, an army. Armies are a host of the Lord. Uh, some of the difficult terms uh, sometimes are referred to, to sons of God. And sometimes when they're referred to as sons of God, those are both fallen and unfallen angels. Uh, uh, their origins we looked at last week, they were created, their spirit, uh, they were created before the world was created. We looked at that. If you missed that or if you want to know and hear that, go back. We found that in Job chapter 38. Um, let's see. Uh, one of the things we also said is popularity, popular, contrary to popular belief, uh, angels are not dead people. Okay, uh, they're not dead children that become angels. Uh, angels are a completely separate category uh, of created beings that God created before, before the world. Uh, they, um, so they are not people who have died and passed on. Uh, let's see, Jesus created them. We looked at that from John 1 and Colossians 1. Uh, they're never to be worshipped. Angels are not to be worshipped. And I'm going to go a little bit more into that today. Uh, Jesus is superior to all the angels. Uh, when he was um, in his flesh, uh, he was like man, very much like man. His substance essence was still fully God, fully man. So like us, he was below the angels while, while on earth. But then he went back to the Father, and he's again superior to the angels. Uh, in every way we look at Hebrews chapter 1. All right, now as we look to week chapter 2, uh, week 2, uh, let me talk to you a couple, uh, uh, just in general, throw some scatter shooting out there, um, about angels. Uh, let me talk to you about some specifics about uh, how they were made, when they were made, and this is just where we glean some insights from what Scripture says. Uh, it appears uh, that uh, all the angels were created as once. 
They were just created as a host of angels or a, uh, you know, or a, uh, uh, armies of angels or a company of angels. They were just all created. They were all created uh, in numbers. When they were created, their numbers were set. Uh, it doesn't, uh, doesn't appear in any way uh, that they were told to procreate. Uh, you know, uh, God created uh, uh, the world, created it male and female animals and male and female couples. They were to procreate, inhabit the earth, fill the earth. Angels were not. They were created. They were created in their number, uh, and their number was set. If you look in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, it says, But you have uh, come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels to the assembly. That's in Hebrews chapter 12. So there's just a myriad. God created a myriad of them. If you look in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53, it says, Or do you think? Uh, it's Jesus talking, I cannot call on my Father, and He will send me more than 12 legions of angels right now. Uh, we've all heard that song, could have called 10,000 angels. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, uh, verse 11, uh, Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels in a circle around the throne, as well as the living creatures and the elders, and their numbers were 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000. So we don't know how many there are. Uh, I would just say uh, it comes from that Greek word bunch amos. There's a bunch of them, all right? So there are a lot of them. We don't know how many. Uh, they were created with a great number. Something else about their created order, angels don't die, all right? They don't procreate. They don't make more angels. They don't make baby angels, um, nor do they die. Uh, they, they, are not, um, they don't seem to be prone to like us where they grow old uh, and uh, they pass away. Uh, they just seem to last eternally. They're, they're eternal beings that were created uh, by God. Uh, if, you, if you think about it in uh, Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verse 27, it said it is appointed for a man once to die and then judgment. You never hear that about angels. Angels will be judged, and uh, some angels will spend eternity in the lake of fire. But it doesn't say they have to die to be judged. We always have the opportunity to repent until what? We expire, until we have our expiration date of whatever that is. But the truth is we see no inclination, we see no um, um, representation in Scripture that angels have an expiration date or that they die. Uh, they seem to be eternal. Uh, let me give you something else. Um, uh, their future. Uh, fallen angels, they do have a very specific future. Those who, uh, even before the earth was created, uh, they uh, chose to follow after Satan and his rebellion. Uh, fallen angels will be judged in the future and permanently confined to the lake of fire. You can see that in Matthew 25, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 4, 2 Peter chapter 2, 4, and Jude 6. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus speaking. He says, And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed, into an eternal fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. All right? So Satan and his angels will ultimately spend eternity uh, in the lake of fire. Unfallen angels um, seem to serve uh, at the behest uh, in the heavens with God, but also inhabit both heaven and earth because there are times that God specifically sends angels to earth uh, to minister to us, to minister his, to his people, protect Israel, as we talked a little bit about last week. Um, 
Let's talk about uh, current and future home of the unfallen angels. Angels. Um, you know, for the un, unfallen angels, these are the holy angels, uh, the inclination is that heaven is their home. That's their primary abode. But the unfallen angels can operate, as I said a few minutes ago, in both heaven and earth. They can praise God. They can celebrate God. They can inhabit the heavens. But sometimes they're given specific orders uh, to come to earth and fill out uh, what God has called. We see several times um, Mark 13, 32 and several other places that angels, the unfallen angels, are called angels of heaven or angels which were in heaven. So we, we, we think that's their abode um, and where they live there in heaven. Uh, but they do serve in heaven and on earth. If you look in Revelation chapter 7, verse 2, he says, uh, John is speaking, he says, Then I saw uh, another angel ascending from the east, talking about heaven and earth, uh, who had a seal of the living God. Uh, he shouted out with a loud voice uh, to the four angels who had been given permission uh, to damage the earth and to the sea. So there are some operating in both heaven and on earth. Revelation chapter 10 verse 1 says, Then I saw another powerful angel descending from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. Uh, his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars. Um, now, if you, if you think about that, we also need to be reminded when we see specific examples uh, of angels like this. Uh, then I saw another powerful angel descending from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow above his head and his face like the sun, his legs like pillars of iron. Okay, when you see something like that, uh, that description, that just means that's what that angel looked like. That doesn't mean that's what all angels look like. Does that make sense? All right, there are times, many times, uh, well, several times, we see angels pictured uh, with wings. Isn't that kind of our natural and common? Most of the time in Scripture, you don't see wings on angels. You see people encounter angels. You would think if one of the Bible writers had encountered a literal angels and it had wings, that would have been the first thing they mentioned, right? How many of you would have said, I, I knew it was an angel because of the man with wings, right? Most of the time it says uh, a young man, an appearance of a young man. Does that make sense? Wings are not mentioned. When are wings mentioned? If you look in every instance in which wings are mentioned, uh, remember even on the resurrection morning they showed up and there were two men, two young men standing there. Um, they... Angels weren't mentioned. Uh, excuse me, angels were mentioned. Wings weren't mentioned. If you look at every time that wings are mentioned in different descriptions like this, it's always in some sort of a vision. Okay, there's some sort of a vision take place. Uh, we do see many angels uh, that fly, but not in, in every instance. When you see an angel flying, we're not always tell, told that they are flying on wings like eagles. Okay. We're just saying they have the ability, or the, the, the writer just said uh, they have the ability to fly. So, uh, the, uh, the future of unfallen angels, the future of fallen angels, as they will spend eternity in the lake of fire, the future of unfallen angels, if you go to Revelation 21 and 22, they will inhabit the new heaven and the new earth. Okay, they will be here during the new heaven and new earth, but the ultimate future, just like now, is they will inhabit the heavens. Okay, they will inhabit the heavens with gods. Now, what about uh, what about the fallen angels? 
What about their home or destiny? As best we can tell, uh, and this is just kind of systematic theology, I'll tell you if, if you want to know where I'm pulling this from. Uh, Charles Ryrie has a system, basic th- systematic theology book. Uh, Millard Erickson has a basic th- systematic theology book. Several other places. I just started looking and perusing and saying, all right, let me pull this out, let me pull this out, let me pull this out. So that's why I'm saying we're just scatter shooting today. I'm just telling you a couple of things. Uh, so if you end up for the Christmas holidays uh, playing an angel Bible trivia game, maybe you'll win, all right? And uh, let's see, fallen angels, what about their home or their destiny? They seem to live in a place other than heaven proper. They inhabit the heavens but they seem to live in another place. They just uh, no longer inhabit uh, the space and the place with God. You can see inferences. Uh, perhaps uh, like Satan is an unfallen angel, was able to go and make a request of God to sift Job. How many of you remember that? So somehow, some way, uh, God can permit uh, that communication uh, between uh, Satan but we know that they're not inhabiting the third seat to the right of God right now. Okay, Satan and his angels are not. Uh, fallen angels, um, uh, those that are fallen angels, uh, if you look like in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, um, and you see it in Revelation chapter 20 as well, Satan is bound in the abyss. All right, Satan is bound in the abyss. It's interesting, if you go look in Revelation chapter 9, those angels that are fallen, they are referred to as they are angels of the king or the prince of the abyss. Who are they talking about? Satan. So fallen angels, their king is Satan. They have followed him, and they still follow him today. Their ultimate destiny is the lake of fire. Let me give you a quote from Charles Ryrie. How many of you have ever heard of Charles Ryrie? You know Charles Ryrie. Great uh, professor from uh, DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary, from years ago. Here's what Charles Ryrie said about angels. He said, the scriptures clearly indicate uh, there are two groups of fallen angels. One um, consisting of those who have fallen, um, one consisting of those who have, uh, have some freedom to carry out Satan plans, and the other who seem to be confined. Of those who are confined, some are temporarily confined, while others seem to be permanently confined. And you can see that those inferences in Second Peter chapter two verse four and Jude uh, six, Jude verse six. The Greeks thought of uh, a place called Tartus as uh, a place of punishment, uh, lower than Hades. So these these guys are in hell squared. Okay, uh, these guys are in a lower place. He says, uh, and he says those temporarily confined are in what's referred to the as the abyss. You say, so there's a TARDIS, a lower place, where there's permanent confinement of some of the angels. There are some who are in the abyss. Well, why does that mean a temporary? Well, remember, at the end of a season, they're going to be released. How many of you read, is it the Left Behind series, all the books? All right, just know um, a lot of that is fiction, okay? So uh, I remember when everybody was reading all that. How many were there in those, uh, in those books? How many books were there? How many? Okay. Seems like every Sunday when one of those would come out, someone would come up and ask me about, well, what do you think about this? And I'm going, who's that? And they go, well, he's in the Bible. And uh, I'm like, where? And they were like, I said, no, 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 that's in the book. All right, that's fiction. A lot of stuff was drawn in there. Now, they'll go to a verse or two, 
like uh, the angels were released and they'll begin to name angels and fallen angels and stuff like that and you'll have characters. And so just remember, that's great fiction, all right? Taken from a verse, that that's all we know is that one verse and then it's expanded, yeah. Well, at one point they did have the ability to do that. The ultimate question uh, is for God, not me. Uh, I can give you a, a lot of conjecture. Um, it really goes back to why did God allow sin? You know, why did God allow sin in the world? Here's what we know, um, that, uh, that angels, uh, at one point at least, it seems that after they made their decision to either follow God or follow Satan, they're fixed. Okay, they're fixed. Uh, that God did allow at least enough freedom uh, for Satan, who was called, uh, you know, the, the shining star, the morning star, apparently one of the most powerful angels there was. Uh, once he rebelled, he became prideful, uh, and he re rebelled against God. Many angels followed him, okay? Once they followed him, they determined their path and their future forever, okay? But it's really the same question as to if God created everything that was good, why did God allow sin? How many of you think that the earth would be a little bit better place if we didn't have sin? Okay, well, let me tell you what, none of us would be here, <laughs> okay? <laughs> FYI, uh, none of us would be here. Uh, now, so, so in general, that's the question. Why would God allow, allow sin? Well, God clearly could have created a place where there was no sin, but neither would there be any freedom. He would have created a bunch of robots, right? He could have created you and me. He could have pre-programmed us with artificial anti-sin intelligence that from day one, Adam and Eve would have completely and totally fulfilled God's command, worshipped Him, obeyed Him completely, and they would have been robots, okay? Um, essentially, I guess He did the same thing with angels. And I say, I guess, that's clearly what He did with angels. Um, why? Because God wants people who will freely follow Him and worship Him. Because you have to permit freedom. Uh, you know, it, it, it's like our kids. Um, how do you know if your kids love you and will obey you? It's not because you lock them in their room for all of their life, right? It's because you train them and teach them and you release them and then you want them to make good decisions on their own. Do we know they're going to make bad decisions? How many of you have kids? How many of you know your kids are going to make bad decisions? But don't you still give them the freedom to make those decisions, okay? Now, if you get off into free will and, you know, whatever, uh, I, I would just be careful. Some people want to run uh, to one extreme, and if they want to run to one extreme, then there's no way around. Um, with uh, you, you make a grand leap if uh, you end up in one theological corner that, um, that if you aren't careful and you look at God and His sovereignty and everything that He dictates and runs, then you pretty much say God created sin. But uh, I prefer just to step back and, and linger in the space that God has given us that 
God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above yours. So here's what I know. God did create a space uh, where some of his created beings who are angels uh, could choose to disobey, rebel, and follow him, uh, and, and not follow him. God also created a world that was very good, but he also created enough space in there that the fallen angel could show up uh, to, uh, to Eve and convince her to eat of the fruit. And uh, it did not take long for the man to follow suit. Uh, he had probably been staring there, standing there looking at the fruit to begin with. Um, uh, and, and so God created that space for it to happen. That, that's also uh, the beauty of uh, being a follower of Christ, that we freely do it. We choose to obey Him. God gives us the ability to produce wealth and to make wealth and to worship Him, but He also gives us the freedom not to, to disobey Him. Now, if you're one of His children and you disobey Him and I disobey Him, uh, then we need to expect judgment to come in. So does, does that appropriately answer the question? I've, uh, I will just tell you I've heard a lot of people who are way smarter than me give um, some very grand reasons uh, as to exactly what God did and how He created it. I just got to tell you, when you're working off one or two verses, you better be careful with climbing too far out on the limb. That, that's, all, that's all I want to say. I, I always want to stay within the bounds of Scripture. Just like I told you a few minutes ago, man, I could paint you the most beautiful picture of an angel out here that has four wings or six wings and two are on a face and two are this and two are that, and that they have fire coming out of their eyes and, you know, this and that, and I can paint you the most beautiful picture. And guess what? I would be taking a lot of the visions and putting them all together, and I could draw you the most beautiful picture of a fearsome, firesome angel. But then I would walk over and read the next verse in the New Testament and say, well, clearly that angel didn't look like that. So we always want to be careful that when we create a theology, that, that we stay true to the biblical text. And that's what I always love to say. Here's what I know. God created angels. Uh, he, he, yes, sir. You know, you and I used to be friends. Look, we're out of time. Father, thank you so much for this day. All right, how many of you know what he's talking about? All right. We were friends. Let me tell you what we have there, and it's been a while, and it's been a while since I've studied the Hebrew on that. Basically, what you have is you have, uh, uh, are they referred to the sons of men there or it's sons of God? That's the hard part. Remember last week I talked about sons of God. Uh, it says the sons of God. Okay, go there. Good gosh. Okay. All right. Give me the verse. I'm, I'm getting there. Oh, I've, I've, got, I've, I've got mine on uh, so y'all wouldn't text me. At the, six, four, read it out loud. Thanks. How many of you are a little confused by that? Read it out again, Shane. Remember, 
Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. All right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back and tell you, uh, I think there were two or three different ways to believe that. Uh, some people believe, remember I told you last week that the sons of God was one of those difficult terms, that that is one of those terms spoken of about angels that sometimes seem to refer to the holy angels and sometimes seem to re refer to the fallen angels. If you go back to last week, I gave you a couple of difficult terms. That was one of them. Uh, in that situation, uh, I would say that there are, and you, you really kind of have to look to the Hebrew because the, uh, and, it's, and it's been a while since I've studied that, uh, you have to look at the Hebrew to get some inclinations. There are some who believe uh, that the fallen angels actually came down and procreated uh, with some of the daughters of, of men, okay? that they actually came down and they propagated more evilness and more people. And so some believe, since they use the word sons of God, uh, came down and propagated uh, with God. But I see no other place in Scripture where angels procreated. So I would back off of that. Okay, that's just me. I want you, and I want you to know how I come to my conclusions, how I come, how I come to my, uh, my foggy conclusions. If I'd seen other places where, or even in heaven, where it tells us that God's heavenly angels continue to procreate more heavenly angels. I would lean towards being open to that, to that idea. Does that make sense? I just see nowhere in Scripture that, that, that angels procreate. Okay, we're also told in there that there were Nephilim that inhabited the earth uh, during that time. Uh, we don't know everything there is to know about the Nephilim. But we also know uh, that um, the normal plan and the natural plan from the very beginning of creation uh, is that a man and a woman physically would procreate together. We are journeying towards Christmas. There was, that's a shining incident, incidence where... A man and woman did not come together to procreate, so God's Spirit moved in at least one example. Now, in that example, it doesn't say an angel moved upon Mary. It says the Spirit of the Lord moved upon Mary. Does that make sense? So that would be, I would say that would be the third person of the Trinity uh, caused because of the miraculous power of God for Mary to be pregnant. So we're, we're, we're way different, okay? We're way different between a man and a woman and God doing something. So we're operating in the space here of, um, of, a, uh, of, of the sons of uh, the sons of God inhabiting uh, the, uh, the space and place of procreation. The other, the other category would be either, either the angels did it or what would be the other option? The other option, and we can see evidence of this today around us, is that fallen angels do in fact have, inhabit people and they influence people to do evil things. Uh, and there are some who fall in that category that it wasn't actually the sons of God. They just worked in the evil hearts of evil men, and they procreated through a physical birth that they were implying. Yeah. Yeah. 
What's that? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Now we're going to get off into. We started off talking about angels, and now we're on demon possession. Uh, no, no, no. That's exactly right. So, I would tend to lean towards in my re, in my reading of the past uh, of that text that somehow the demons, the fallen angels, possessed these evil men, inhabited these evil men, influenced these evil men, and just in the reference in the Hebrew is uh, it caused uh, a procreation, and so evil began to be propagated. This would be one of those things, I I will tell you, uh, uh, this would be one of those things that, uh, that I would let there be, um, I would let there be some leeway in where people wanted to think and believe. And there are, there are a number of those things in Scripture that I'm willing to say, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some space to inhabit here. Does that make sense? Uh, I don't claim to know everything. I, I will just, uh, I remember J.B. Phillips wrote a book years ago. It says, your God's too small. Let me tell you what, if you can answer everything about God and you can fit him into a box, you don't know God. And I'll just tell you that. And that's, that's part of where, uh, um, where I line up in, in, in certain theological positions that people inhabit. If you think you can reduce God to, to a certain thing, if I can tell you all about God's sovereignty and providence and everything like that, I think God's too small. Because if I can figure out His full plan, you know, we've already acknowledged in here, or at least I've acknowledged, I don't know why God would create angels in such a way that some of them could fall. I will tell you this, the beauty of us standing before God someday, and we had the ability to receive and accept His salvation and His love and His grace, that's going to be more amazing than we can ever imagine, okay? Much more so than had He, and so I would assume that that same applies to the angels, that those angels who will surround God in all of eternity singing to Him, they will be the ones that made the choice not to fall, okay? Now, even within that free choice, it was certainly within God's permissive will, so I'm not trying to get rid of God's will here. Nothing that ever happens is a surprise to God. God didn't look down after creating the angels and go, oop, what happened there, okay? I'm not, I'm not insinuating that. Okay, nor am I insinuated that when he created Adam and Eve and gave them one rule, said don't eat of that fruit, that when she ate of the fruit, that an angel rolled over and said, hey, did you hear what Eve did? And he goes, no, what? I don't think God went, what? Didn't see that one coming. Uh, yeah. Joe, hang on real quick. Go back to Joe. You got any thoughts on that? I, I'm assuming you've studied that. Totally. That's right. 
Yeah, see, and I, I love that. I love it. You can tell he studied, boy, and, and by the way, if you've never heard, heard Joe teach, great Bible teacher study. It, it, guys, it's okay. I want you to know this. Some of the worst heresies you will ever see in all of Christianity is when someone will take a, a, an example like that that you see one time in Scripture, right? And they will run to a conclusion and tell you, look you definitively in the eye exactly what happened. Sometimes the best thing we can do is be honest and say, man, I don't fully get that. You know, I don't fully, I, don't, I wasn't there, I didn't see it. I didn't know, and I don't see it repeated. Now, if you see that example repeated over and over and over and over again, um, then you're good. One of the best Bible interpretation, by the way, now we're from angels to uh, other things. One of the best Bible interpretations that I would always want you to hear and see going forward is if you ever come to an unclear passage of Scripture that you don't get, that, that doesn't seem to make sense, the best way to translate that is not necessarily to first go to the theology book. Look in your topical reference index guide and go to another passage that teaches on that topic. Does that make sense? Always let the Bible interpret the Bible. So go to a very clear passage on a scripture to then go back and interpret the unclear passage in scripture. All right? Go to a clear passage and go to and then go back to an unclear passage all right i'll give you an example uh in, in acts uh, chapter 3 um uh peter seems to especially in the english but i can i can break it down for you in the greek and tell you it doesn't say this but in the in the english peter seems to preach the message uh in acts his first message in acts repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins that sure sounds like I need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of, your, of my sins, right? Well, that's not what we believe as Baptists, right? Well, if you read the English, now if you go to the Greek, it's really the emphasis there is on repenting, and the baptism comes later. But you jump one chapter over, he preaches that again. He says, those who heard the message received and were baptized, does that make sense? Then if you go to the other places on baptism, you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again the third day, then you would be saved. If you go, so there's no baptism mentioned there. If you go to, if you go to, um, uh, if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, that is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest no one should boast. Is baptism mentioned there? No. Then, then what we wouldn't say is that in Acts chapter 3, salvation had to have baptism, and in, in Ephesians chapter 2, it didn't, or in Romans chapter 10, it didn't. So you understand what I'm saying? Go to clear passages to come back and interpret the unclear passages along the way. Eric, I think, uh, I think you have a special one. So uh, uh, there we go. Uh, so does that make sense? Kind of a great interpretive principle. Uh, some people will go to, and this is getting way off base, but I want you to hear this. Some people will go, well, what about John the Baptist? I mean, what about John chapter 3? When, um, when Jesus uh, was standing there talking to Nicodemus, talking about the baptism thing, and uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born of what? Water and the Spirit. Right? So people will say, and I've heard them say this, see, Jesus is saying you have to have spirit and you have to have baptism. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. What was the context of John 3? Nicodemus' question was, how can a man be born again 
Jesus' response was, you have to be born of water. That's physical birth. And the Spirit, right? And the Spirit. That means salvation. Nowhere else in all of John 3 is baptism talked about. Surely, if Jesus was talking about that water at the beginning of John 3 being baptism, He would have brought it up again, right? But what did He say? For God so loved the world, verse 16, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, it would have sure been nice if baptism had to be part of, this, uh, part of, um, part of salvation, uh, now, I want you to know it's an important part of obedience. I don't understand why a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, wouldn't be baptized to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, if you have an unclear passage, go to a clear passage. Now, here's our problem with this passage. We see nothing else like that in Scripture. It's a crazy thing that happened right there at the beginning of creation when evil was being propagated. So you really can't go and see an Exodus that happens again. And you see in, in, in Leviticus that happens again. Does that make sense? So when you look at a passage like that, you say, that's an isolated incident. I appreciate God putting it in there for me to study and to think about. Some of the best minds in the world have gone to this and they've come up with different conclusions. It makes for a great book, all right? It makes for a great book, but we need to live within some space of going, you know what, until we really get there, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll be right behind Joe, you know, or, or I'll be in front of Joe in line. So, all right, now, what was this whole Nephilim and sons of man, <laughs> sons of God thing, all right? Um, and so there are times that we need to live in some of those spaces um, and, and let it happen.